What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on ComboChurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. And so let's go ahead and read in um, Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 4, 5, and 8, and then we're going to go to uh, some verses in chapter 2. And uh, it says in verse 4, it says, Once he was, speaking of Jesus, was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And let's go over to verse, verse 8. And it says, but you will receive power, somebody say power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was speaking to a specific group, but to us, he's not telling you to go to Jerusalem, Judea. He's talking about the different areas around our world where God would place us, okay? So we could, we could, say, we could say Reno, Sparks, Northern Nevada, United States of America, and the whole world. Like, we could say the exact same thing. And, and that's what God is speaking to us. So, so those were his instructions to his followers. Hey, I'm getting ready to ascend back to heaven, but in just a few days, they didn't know how many days, but it was 10 days from the ascension when Jesus went back to heaven to the, uh, Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit was poured out, which takes us to Acts chapter 2. And we'll read verses 1 through 4, and then also I'm going to uh, read some verses that are from a, a prophecy in the book of Joel in the Old Testament. Starting in verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So this is not just the apostles. This is not just the, uh, the, the, the immediate followers of Jesus that we follow through the Gospels. These are, are more people who have been gathered. Some say it was the 120. Some people would say it might have been even more than that. It says, suddenly, somebody say suddenly. suddenly. Like when that shows up, that, that, I mean, it means something. When something suddenly happens to you, right, it, like it gets your attention, it's in a moment, it, it, it captures you because something is about to happen. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Now let's go over to verse 17. And this is after, after uh, we'll, we'll talk about this next part. It was after they spilled out of the upper room. There's a little lesson there. What God does with the Holy Spirit in the church is never meant to stay in the church. It's meant to spill out from the church. And Peter gets up and begins to preach and address the crowd that heard everything that was going on and began to gather to see what in the world was happening. And Peter gets up and begins to address the crowd in verse uh, 17. He, he quotes the, the prophet Joel, who prophesied this moment. And he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Say all. I just want you all to know, it's all people. Not some, not select, not elect, not few, not better, not worse, not male, not female. All people. 
says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So Jesus, today we ask that in these moments that we have together, uh, Lord, again, as, as you are so faithful to do, we pray that you will help us along on the journey of knowing you more, of understanding your word more clearly, Holy Spirit, of embracing you more openly. And we pray, even as we have been talking and preaching, that we would, that we would uncensor you, Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would have freedom um, in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, how many of you ever heard the term, take the plunge, right? Usually we say that when it's like something big. Maybe for some people who like your whole life you were terrified, terrified of commitments, but you fall in love and then you take the plunge, you get married. You know, maybe it was the, the uh, career that you were just afraid to step into, but you took the plunge and you went for it, right? So we, we understand what that means. And I think as we look at the theology of the Holy Spirit for the church, as it was accurate in scripture, as it was laid out for the New Testament church, and as it has continued throughout every century, even until modern times, we're in a place where the church really needs to look back Back at what God intended and take the plunge. And the plunge that I'm talking about isn't just a particular gift. The plunge I'm talking about is what we've echoed throughout this whole series, which is being wide open to absolutely everything that God says he wants his church to have, to embrace, and to walk out. And so that, that's what we're talking about today. And, and so I want to echo what I've been saying this entire series because I pray that it gets into your DNA. I pray it gets into your bloodstream. And that's that Christianity was never meant to be a powerless religion. And Christianity without the power is a dangerous misrepresentation of God and his church. We, we're nothing more than just another philosophical ideology at that point, just another religion where we're trying to come together and figure this God thing out on our own. No, that's not how it's meant to be. And if I were to, um, to put it this way, I think Christianity, as it is today and as it was started with Jesus, uh, the church was started, the Holy Spirit was poured out, Christianity really stands on two particular legs. And each one was demonstrated by, by uh, the first one by Jesus, who is the truth, and then the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God. We have truth and we have power. And that's what the church is meant to stand on. The enemy constantly goes after both of these because it is the legs that, that we stand on that if one of them's taken out, it kind of gets hard to stand on the other one well balanced. If you take out truth, then we're just hanging out on power. We become some demonic mysticism pursuit of whatever power we can connect to. But if we take out power and we're hanging on to truth, right, we might be able to stand, but we're a little bit shaky and we're missing the very thing that empowers the truth. And so again, like I said, we become just another ideology, just another religion, just another man-made institution who's trying to figure out how to get to God or if God's real, who God is, am I God, am are you God? No, we need to stand on both truth and on power. And the Holy Spirit is here to baptize us in his supernatural reality so that we can live what God says is possible, rejecting what our flesh says is impossible. So when I read, and I'm going to challenge you, when I read Acts chapter 2, I, I cannot read that passage and just be like, oh, isn't that, isn't that just a lovely story? Wow, they, that sounds like a lovely church service. They must have gone home that day and just felt so good about having just, it was a, you know, pastor, it was a good day at church. Like, no, I can't read Acts chapter 2 that way at all. Like, 
I mean, you, you read through the descriptors of like of how of how Doctor Luke Luke is the one that that wrote um, that wrote the book of Acts. Like the way that he is describing what took place in this room. Like this was a this was a phenomenal moment. This was a supernatural happening. The, he's like, I don't know what happened, but it was a mighty rushing wind that came into the room from heaven. And you're like, wow, like what, what was it like to be in that room for him to describe it that way? It's not like the AC kicked on and all of a sudden a little breeze kind of <laughs> blew through the room. Like, no, a mighty rushing wind. I know we don't get a whole lot of rain, but last week at my house up in Spanish Springs area, all of a sudden the wind started to pick up. And all of a sudden, there are things flying through the air that weren't there before, right? Like things are going sideways, things are being knocked over outside, you know, rain is blowing sideways. You're like, that's how I visualize a mighty rushing wind. Like it wasn't something that was like, oh, what was that? Did you hear that? No? Yeah? Okay. No, there was something that it could not be ignored. And it could not be looked at as just like, well, that was, that's normal. No, this was not normal. This was not something that everybody had just seen before. This wasn't just another moment. This was something supernatural. He says that, uh, that, that it, what appeared as tongues of fire were descending upon and landing on each person's head. Like he wasn't trying to, this wasn't a metaphor for something spiritual that, that was happening, although it was a spiritual thing. Like they were, they were, they were seeing, physically seeing things that looked like, right? There's a, it looked like, that's because they didn't know what it was. So when you don't know what something is, you try to describe it. I don't know. It looked like he said it looked like tongues of fire that were descending on every person individually, and then they all, as the Spirit gave them the ability, began to speak in other languages. Like crazy stuffs happening. This is not just okay, guys. We're gonna get together and sing a couple songs, and uh, a couple people are gonna lead out in prayer, and uh, we're gonna read some Old Testament prophets and. Yeah, it's going to be good, and then we'll go home after that. No, this wasn't what this was. This was something that was setting the tone for a reality that God desired to exist within his church, not just for a season, as we will point out here in a moment, but for all time until Jesus returns to take his church home. And that's what we're going to get into today. I hope that's, I hope that's in, going to be okay for you, because that's what we're doing today, okay? Um, Here's something that's important as we begin to kind of break down some of what has been interpreted, reinterpreted, misinterpreted, uh, revived throughout a couple of thousand years of church history, is that we need to understand that what happened in this moment in the context of what the rest of the New Testament teaches. Okay, so what the followers of Jesus received in that moment in the upper room was the personal prayer language of what we call speaking in tongues or praying in the Spirit, Okay. And this is, this, this is the part that is for everyone. And so and this is where I've loved to get into conversations with people. You know, out of high school, I went to Liberty University, which was primarily, used to be, it used to be called Liberty Baptist College. And so me being a Pentecostal boy going up into Liberty University, we got to have some really good conversations, some really good debates. And I loved it. And I learned some stuff, too. That was a fun part of that, that whole thing. But, but, but this is, they're like, well, no, it was a one-time thing. They were speaking other languages. And so God was just using it in that moment because on Pentecost, because this is true, on Pentecost, all of the Jews from around the known world would go back to Jerusalem, would pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. So they're coming from all these different places that speak all these different languages in the known world. And so as, the, as the, the, the believers in the upper room began to spill out of the upper room 
And also keep in mind, as they're spilling out of this upper room, it was creating enough of a ruckus, I like to say that word, ruckus, to where people who were watching what was happening began to accuse them of being drunk. And I don't think they were being sarcastic. I think they were like, these people have a problem. And then when Peter, and, and I love, I, me and my kids joke about this one, because Peter, I mean, Peter, Peter's awesome. Peter says things. And his first message, he gets up, and he's like, we are not drunk as you suppose. And he didn't, he didn't say because, because we don't do that. It doesn't honor God. He's like, because it's, it's only 9 in the, in the morning. You're like, all right, first message, Peter. We'll, we'll work on that, some things you say and some things you don't say. But it was creating enough of a, of a disturbance to where people who were witnessing what was happening realized that that was not normal behavior. They're like, I don't know what's going on. They're acting kind of funny. They're speaking other languages. I don't know what they're saying. Are they, like, what time is it? When did the bar open? Or did it even ever close, right? And so Peter is addressing that. But here's the thing. So they, they, they said that the people who were hearing, all of a sudden people from the different places who had traveled to Jerusalem began to hear God being praised in their native language. Now, now here's why I say what they received in that moment was not the, a one-time moment of the Holy Spirit doing something supernatural to, to, to show himself to people of other nations who would go back as missionaries, hearing the gospel, being filled with the Holy Spirit back to their countries, which that did happen. But what we don't see happening is that any of these people, nothing's ever talked about again, about how they continued to know how to speak in these other foreign languages. They did not go personally as missionaries to these, to these places now speaking a brand new language. It was a moment where as they praised God through this gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they, they weren't talking to somebody face to face. They were praising God and other people heard what they were saying because the Holy Spirit was able to take what they were speaking in that heavenly language that God gave them and was able to use it for whatever purpose he wanted to use it. And in that moment, it was to reach the crowd. It was to reach the audience and to let them know that something supernatural was happening. You know, these, these common uneducated, these Galilean, these Nazarene, these other individuals who mostly had a reputation of not being educated people, all of a sudden supernaturally were praising God in multiple languages and it got their attention. So what they had received in that moment was the spiritual heavenly language to be able to pray to God and worship God and glorify God. And the Holy Spirit was able to use it in a supernatural way. We're gonna break this down even more. Because what I've heard for years and years and years is like, you know, that's, you know, that's good. It, it, yes, yes, it happened. Yes, it happened, but it happened you know, here, and it was one time. It was only a supernatural moment in that particular time because you know, the church was just getting started, and, and it was, you know, really it was a time of turmoil, and so they needed something powerful and supernatural to really kickstart the church. And I'm like, do we not live in tumultuous times now? <laughs> Does the church not still need something supernatural fired up inside of us that allows us to make a dynamic impact in the world around us? Like that has not changed. We're not necessarily under Roman occupation like they were at that time, at least not yet, but we still need the supernatural power of God to be the thing that fuels who we are to the world around us. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. So this happened in Acts chapter 2, but it didn't just happen in Acts chapter 2. Here's something that's really cool to know about um, when you read Scripture, when you interpret Scripture, when you see things. When you see something substantial show up in Scripture for the first time, 
that has never happened before, and then after that first time you see these things begin to be repeated, that is God setting up a new precedent. That is God setting up something that is becoming uh, established for how he will operate moving forward. In the Old Testament, it was the system of sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And it was a system that was established um, in the wilderness. Well, I mean, way before that, but officially it was established in the wilderness through the Mosaic Law. And it was established and it became the method that was accepted. But then that came to an end when Jesus became the permanent, perfect sacrifice. That old system ended and something new began. And then he poured out his Holy Spirit in a dynamic way, and then it got repeated. That's how God operates through Scripture. So it started in Acts chapter 2, and then we see it again in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel, were beaten for preaching the gospel, were threatened by the governing authorities to no longer continue to do what they were doing. And they had their infamous quote of, do you really want us to obey you than God? Yeah, we're not going to obey you if it keeps us from obeying God. We're going to do, we're going to, in a little, little example of biblical civil disobedience, where they chose to obey God rather than obeying man. And so finally, because there was such a stir, they had to release them because there was going to be riots. And they went back to the believers, back to the church, and they prayed, and they sang, and it says the room was shook. And they were again filled with the Holy Spirit. And these would have been people who had already experienced, so that teaches this process. There are multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit. It's not just one time I got it, I got the card, it's in my wallet, now I'm good. But there's multiple as well as new people who were added to the church. But it wasn't just Acts 4. Acts chapter 8, Philip, the evangelist, goes out to another town, preaches the gospel of Jesus. Revival breaks out. People are being saved, accepting Jesus. And they're, not only are they accepting Jesus and repenting of their sin, but they're, they're turning to God. The church is forming. Yet uh, the, the word got back to Jerusalem, and Peter and John went to go check it out. And when they arrived, they're like, so you guys got the Holy Spirit, right? They're like, what? what's that? They're like, oh, okay, let's take care of that. That's a part of the package now. That's a part of how God is operating. It says that they prayed for them, and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues. It's happening again. Acts chapter 10. Now it's starting to break outside of just the Jewish culture. This was huge. Like historically, I don't know if we realize this, what happens in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and the vision that God gave to Peter of what was, what was formerly unclean. Don't call what, was, what I've made unclean. And then people came and asked for Peter, and he went with them. And he says, okay, it's, it's actually against Jewish law for me as a Jew to even come into your house. But because God said something to me that things are changing, I'm going to come in. And he came in and began to preach Jesus. And it literally says in Acts chapter 10 that while he was preaching, that the Holy Spirit broke out on everybody that was there, like it interrupted him. Like I don't know how Peter acted in this moment, like, could, could you wait? I'm not done preaching. Still have time on the clock, right? It's like, we don't know. It just says that while he was speaking, the Holy Spirit poured out and all these Gentiles. This was huge. This is when they crossed over from it just being about the, the, the Jewish culture, the Jewish people of God, into all people. And so Peter was messed up. He says, well, let's baptize him. So they're getting baptized in water as well. And then he goes back, and he has to explain himself because everybody back in Jerusalem was like, heard about what happened. Why, why are you going into people's homes that aren't Jews? He's like, guys, things are changing, and this is why. We're like, well, that's cool. That's, that's like four different times. Well, there's another one in Acts, Acts 19. In Acts 19, there are believers in Christ 
who had received Jesus, which means that when you are saved, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But what we're teaching today, what, was, what is being revived in the church, not just here, but all over the world, is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, a, is another moment. It is a deeper moment where it's not just the Holy Spirit indwelling our spirit to help us live saved and to help us live a life that honors God and to create that transformation from the inside out, but it's actually a subsequent experience, a baptism, that Greek word baptizo, Full immersion, not a little bit, not just part of you, not just a little bit on the inside, but inside, outside, and everything in between. So in Acts 19, these believers had not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they had received Christ. And so Paul went to them, prayed for them, laid hands on them. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues. So although, or sorry, throughout the rest of the New Testament, you will see You don't see throughout a lot of Paul's letters, you don't see teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is where a lot of people are like, well, this is, that's because it was only for that initial time in Acts and really getting the church started. No, it was because that was the established norm in the church. So you don't see Paul teaching on, hey guys, I just want you to know that there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to teach on what that is. We're going to teach that that is for today. No, there wasn't that. We see Paul teaching in the church in Corinthians who were using their spiritual gifts in a crazy out of order way, he was teaching them the proper usage of what it actually was. And so we see consistently throughout the New Testament reference to praying in the spirit or, or singing in the spirit. And like whenever those uh, words are used, it is in reference to this gift and this part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that today so many people have decided that they don't need because it's outside the realm of full understanding and outside the realm of comfort that we would want to have within our understanding of theology. It was understood that speaking in tongues was the common fruit of someone who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit after salvation. And that's why Paul addressed it the way he did in the Corinthian church. So here's a couple of of statements that I want to make for you that hopefully we can take with us today to remove any any limitations, to remove any doubts. As a matter of fact, all throughout church history, I've heard some people say, well, it disappeared for like 700 years before, you know, a charismatic revival back in the, you know, early 1900s. I'm like, well, that's just not true because it never went away. Like all throughout, you just gotta, you just gotta do some homework. You just gotta study. You just gotta go and realize that history, every century, there is documented accounts of the spiritual gifts and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all these different, it continues and never stopped. As a matter of fact, some of y'all may, may not know this, but it was the Catholic Church that was the initial carrier and protector of this very teaching up until about 400 um, A.D., Because it was at that point that they began to kind of structure the power system that we're familiar with today. And they began to create doctrine and theology that was not biblical, that says that only only, uh, leaders in the church, only bishops are the ones who can actually exercise spiritual gifts. And that's when they begin to use it to take power away from people and control people. And that's when other things begin to get into the mix and the theology that has gotten broken. But until then, they were the protectors. And so I, I remember one guy telling me, he's like, no, speaking in tongues of the devil, because if you speak in tongues, it means you're demon-possessed. That's my sarcastic accent, apparently. But that actually came from that very time period, because the church began to teach that. In order to consolidate power for church leaders, they began to teach that anybody that was not a church leader, elder, bishop, whatever, 
who was exercising these spiritual gifts, because they weren't a leader, they were demon-possessed. And I'm like, yeah, nope, that's not in there. So we have to say, okay, Holy Spirit, what did you intend? God, what was your original plan? How did you desire to see it executed in the church? And are we being obedient and true to that today? And that's why, as we go into uncensored Holy Spirit deeper and deeper, our goal is not to create a, a, a traditional um, Pentecostal denominational experience teaching. But again, I know I'm repeating myself on this, but this is so important. For us to get ourselves to the same place where the disciples and the followers of Jesus were in the upper room that had absolutely no context of what was about to happen, they had no experience before this that would let them realize that this was how it was going to happen. The only thing they had was obedience to trust what Jesus said and an expectation that God would do what he said he would do. And I'm telling you, I don't care what the topic within faith is, within what the Bible teaches is, I don't care what it might be, as long as you come with that type of attitude and mindset before the Lord that says, I want everything that you have, if you said it, I believe it. If we have that mentality, then that, that positions us to be in a place where God can do something supernatural. So I want you to know a couple of things. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. And if you are a you, then it's for you. Make that as simple as possible. All you have to do is ask and believe in faith to receive it. And I'll say this too, speaking in tongues is for you. This is where, this is where we need to, I think, course correct a little bit because when I was growing up, it was just all about that one thing. And it was, that one thing was glorified. And it's not just about the one thing. You know, there, there are people who would teach, well, you, you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you don't speak in tongues. I don't believe that. But I do believe it is for absolutely everybody. And so we have to ask the question, well, then how come not everybody does? And that's a fantastic question. That's a great question. We're, there's a couple of things that I wrote down. I'm sure there's more. But these are some things that I've, as I have pastored people, talked with people, and even debated people, these are some things that stood out. Um, doubt is a barrier to believing something like this because we have to understand, man, the Holy Spirit is not just some natural, automatic, easy tangible thing to understand. The Holy Spirit is mysterious. The Holy Spirit is God, which means he's infinite. And the Holy Spirit is, is, is supernatural. So there, there has to be an element of faith that says, I can't control it, and I cannot fully understand it, but I can understand what God chooses to tell me to understand from Scripture, and then step out in faith to believe what God says is true. But doubt is a significant barrier to receiving the gifts that God wants to give you. Like, you, we can't receive anything by doubt. Like, the righteous live by doubt. No, 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 we don't. <laughs> the righteous live by faith. James goes as far as to say, like, hey, if you, if you ask for God and you're not fully believing that what you're asking for according to Scripture is going to happen, then you're double-minded. Like, James is, again, I love him. He's one of those dudes. He just, he just tells you stuff. He doesn't care if you cry. <laughs> he doesn't care if you, if you don't like it. He's like, no, you're double-minded. As a matter of fact, you're unstable in all your ways. How dare you tell me I'm unstable? Well, yeah, that's James. But it's, it's true, like doubt cannot be in the equation when we are receiving what God wants to give us. Another, another factor, a barrier to receiving uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit is bad teaching or censorship. There's a lot of people that you don't understand because you just haven't been taught. Or even if you have been taught, you've been taught in a way that, that didn't lead you to, to the truth. 
analytical thinking without trust. Any analytical thinkers in the room? Be like, I just, I gotta understand it, gotta wrap my mind around it. Pastor, are you suggesting I not think? No, absolutely not. No, I'm not suggesting that at all. But I'm suggesting that you think with trust. I'm suggesting that you think about it and dive into it with faith. Because when you do that, God can work with that. God can work with that. I, I remember one time, uh, and this was not the only, but one of the moments where I realized um, that what I had been raised on and that understanding that, like, you don't have the Holy Spirit if you don't speak in tongues, realized that that wasn't the case. Because I, I, and, and I had many conversations, but this one stood out because it was somebody who had for years and years very effective in the kingdom of God, operating powerfully in many spiritual gifts, wanted the ability to pray in the spirit, wanted that prayer language, but had never been able to receive it and was living in such condemnation because he believed that he didn't have it because there was something wrong with him. And I just had to let him know, I was like, that's just not the case. He's like, he goes, for the life of me, I can't, I can't wrap my mind around it. I'm just, and, I, and then it hit me, I'm like, oh, it's because your brain's getting in the way. I get it. That's okay. Like our brains can get in the way. God gave you a brain. I want you to know that. God gave you a mind. God gave you, if you're analytical, that's, that is a trait that God put in you. It's a part of your, your personality. It's a part of who you are. It's supposed to be there. But how many of you know that there are things that God can give us that if we don't have faith and trust can get in the way of, of understanding what God's trying to tell us? And so we started having this conversation about, man, listen, you can be analytical. You can try to understand, but, but, but by doing so, dive into Scripture and do so with an attitude of faith. Doing so, believing that God is a rewarder of those who believe in him. He's a rewarder. And if the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts are gifts, and our Heavenly Father is a good Father who gives gifts to his children, then we have to understand that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not something that he's like dangling a carrot in front of you that you can't reach. He's not like, well, I know it's Christmas and I've got all these gifts wrapped up for you, but you haven't really proved that you're good enough to receive what I wanna give you. No, how jacked up would that be? No, he's like, no, I want you to have it. Okay, if you, or do you believe what I'm telling you? Do you have faith in who I am as your guy? Yeah, well, here's that gift. I'm gonna give it to you. I wanna bless you. I'm gonna take you over the top. And something in this guy's mentality shifted. And within the next week, he calls me up. He's like, you won't believe it. I'm like, I, what? What? I don't, I remember what we're talking about. He's like, remember what we talked about last week in the Holy Spirit? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I received my prayer language. I'm like, you did? I was like, well, how'd you do that? <laughs> He's like, I was just at home. I was by myself. And I just told God, okay, I give up. I want everything that you have for me. I've tried to understand it. I don't. And he said, and all of a sudden, things begin to come into my mind and begin to speak and I begin to pray in that heavenly prayer language. I'm like, we didn't, we didn't even get to like, lay hands on you and stuff. And that also kind of helped change some of my thinking too. I mean, it, it, it is modeled, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit does not have to do everything the way that we think the Holy Spirit has to do things. Probably the last barrier that I would see is just a lack of desire. Doesn't mean that you're not saved. <laughs> Doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. I just meet people that are like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I'm good. I don't, it's, it just seems extra. You know, I love the Lord. I read my Bible. I give, I'm faithful. I serve. This just seems like a bit much to me and I'm okay with that. And that's where I will continue to respectfully and passionately 
get in your face and say, don't stop. Don't stop. I mean, it's like, literally, believing. (laughs) Don't stop short of the everything that God wants you to have. I don't care if it takes you a minute or a month or a year or a decade. That's okay. And here, and if you have not yet received this gift that God wants to give you, I want you to understand, you are not a second-rate Christian. That's bad teaching. That's bad theology. It doesn't mean that you are incapable of being effective for the kingdom of God. We're cool with the journey that God has us on, but just don't, don't, don't depart from that journey. Don't, get, don't compare yourself to other people's journeys. Like for me, everyone on our, on our pastoral team is baptized in the Holy Spirit, has the gift of praying in the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and again, there's, there's a separate gift. There's a, when you talk about different spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit puts into people after those moments, there's you know, the, the gifts of knowledge and discernment and hospitality and leadership and, and wisdom and all these things. Like those are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you in the baptism of the Holy Spirit that aren't speaking in tongues. Okay, so, so but, but what happens is that the Holy Spirit is the supercharged power behind what God puts inside of us. Remember how I said with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it gives us supernatural power to be saved, to live saved. But there's not just the in you, God wants to do the through you. And so what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does is it begins to do through you what we are incapable of doing on our own. Man, we're running out of time, okay. What do I want to leave you with? Some of y'all just might have to hang around for the next service. I'll say this one. Praying in the spirit or speaking in tongues is the only spiritual gift given in the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is described scripturally as being a gift that encourages and builds up your own spirit. It's the only one. And that's when Paul's talking about it in 1 Corinthians 14 where a lot of people who are against this particular persuasion of a spiritual gift, like, see, it's not important because prophecy is more important, which is ironic because they defend prophecy, but that, that cessationist or dispensational theology also likes to teach and preach that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. So how can the gift of prophecy be for today um, when you're proving that tongues is not for today? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, but Paul's not saying away with speaking in tongues, and in, in favor of prophecy, he's saying you need both. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he goes, eagerly desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. Like all of them. All, eagerly desire all of them. Does that mean that you will get the peak of every spiritual gift there is? No, because God's got a plan for you. And I don't know about you, but there have been different seasons in my life where a certain gift have, has risen to the top, then another season it dropped down. Why? Because God knows what he has for me in that season. But all those other spiritual gifts are so that I can be used by God to minister to others. The spiritual gift of praying in the spirit isn't for others, it's to build me up in my faith. When I'm discouraged, all right, let me say this. You ever hear people like, when you don't know what to say, just say the name of Jesus. Sounds good. Makes for great worship songs. Say Jesus. But here's the thing. Scripture says when you don't know what to say, pray in the Spirit. So think about that. 
we have replaced our theology with what seems more comfortable because we know what the name of Jesus, we know how to spell it, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. I know who Jesus is. I can, I can visualize Jesus because of the Gospels. I know what he did on the cross. I know that he went back to heaven. I physically know where he is right now. The Bible says what his role is. I can understand. I can grasp that. But the Holy Spirit is not something that I can grasp. It's not something that I can fully explain. I don't know where he is at all times. Where he's the Holy Spirit, he's everywhere. Oh, he's everywhere? He's in me, he's in you, he's there, what? He's manifest, he's personal, he's, 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 he's inside of me, but he's also working powerfully elsewhere. It's very uncomfortable. It's very unsettling for many people. But we're not just supposed to say the name of Jesus when we don't know what to do. We're supposed to disconnect the limitations of our mind and allow our spirit to pray in a way that bypasses the limitations of our minds so that we can pray in the spirit at all times. And allow God to partner with us in a way that we, we are engaged in our own limitation. We can't partner with him at all. Oh, man. Let's pray. Yeah, there's going to be more in a second. <clears throat> Here's what I have to come to grips with. It's not my job to convince you of anything. My prayer is that in this church we can create the atmosphere that births spiritual hunger inside of you. When I was growing up, typically for this type of message, this would have been the moment where the worship team comes up and they find that, that really hot moment, right? That really hot moment in, in a, the right song. And then we have everybody up here, we're like, and if you want... The baptism of the Holy Spirit, run to the front right now. You know, we're pushing people over, pulling out the modesty blankets. And, <laughs> and that's fantastic. That's great. My life was absolutely transformed in environments like that. And I don't, I don't ever regret or lose any of those moments in my testimony. But here's the thing. Like, you don't have to be up front of the altar to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to give you. I've learned through too many experiences, you don't even have to be at church to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to give you. We had that conversation with our pastoral team. Most of them actually did not receive that moment at church. It was like at home in a bedroom. It was in a car while driving. It was, you know, on a hike. It was by yourself. And like for me, I don't even remember. I didn't have that moment. Karen and I led youth ministries forever where we were these incredible moments where young people were having an experience in a moment and, and it was real. But, but I found myself in those moments going, man, I wish I had one of those. I don't even remember when I, had, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was just kind of there. And I don't, I don't know why. So it's, it's different for everybody. So this is what I'm going to say. Can you stand up? We're going to pray. Have a hunger in your heart that says, I don't want comfortability. I don't want just what makes sense to me. I want absolutely everything that the Holy Spirit has for me. So whether it's right here in this moment, whether it's on your drive home today, whether you go for a walk and you're just gonna have a conversation with the Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you to say, I want, God, I want you to, to fill me and baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I know you're in me, I know I'm saved, I know you're indwelling inside of me, but I don't wanna lock you up, I want everything. I want that, that extra experience, that baptism. I want that prayer language. And here's what, people are like, well, how do, how do, you, how do you do it? Like, this is just like, because the Holy Spirit doesn't possess you. That's so important to understand. Some people think, well, I have my eyes have to roll back in my head and I can't control them. No, I, I have never in my life ever prayed in the Spirit 
where I was not in control of what I was doing. I was partnering by faith and obedience in what I felt the Holy Spirit was giving me to pray. So here, here's the key. Ask, believe. And as you begin to pray, I don't know if you knew this or not, you can't pray in multiple languages at one time. Think about that. So when I'm saying like, when you, need, when you start, God, I wanna pray in the spirit, I wanna receive this gift, it's for everybody. It's for absolutely everybody. You just have to begin to, by faith, begin to pray what you feel like the Holy Spirit is putting in your head, sound syllables. For some of you, you're gonna feel like a moron when this first begins to happen. <laughs> but it's not about you. And, and, and I'm not trying to get you to do it in, in front of a bunch of everybody. You know, I'm not, we're not, okay, who's got it? Come up, here's a microphone, your turn. Nope, not gonna happen. Because it's for you. We can talk about the other gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they're for others and how God even works through tongues and interpretation is rare, but it still happens. I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the prayer language that is for you. Go and find that prayer closet. Get into the car by yourself. Go into your room and close the door. Take a walk. Begin to open your mouth. Begin to pray. And as things begin to come out, you continue to speak by faith. And just like any gift or any skill or any ability, the more you use it, the stronger it gets. It is a spiritual muscle. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories, and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.